Hey, Vito. Hey, Colin. Hey, Seth. Hello, Colin. Good to see you, boys. Uh, since last time we spoke, not much has happened with USF. It's been pretty boring. Um, we lost to our rival, and uh, we fired our head coach. But other than that, I think things have been pretty copacetic. Um, yeah. So. No big deal. Yeah. It was a really terrible intro. I'm a little distracted right now. So, anyway. Um, this is our emergency podcast. Um, here's what we know, and we're actually writing about this right now. And we'll get up as much as we can as soon as we can, but we wanted to get something out. To those of you who consume us via audio, um, we don't know what's going to happen. This is our fourth coaching search as a blog, and it is the third one that we've been able to like sort of seriously dive in and cover. Um, so we're going to set a few ground rules here. One is... We will print what we know and we think is credible. We will say what we know and we think is credible. Um, we're going to do the best we can. There's only really a very, very, very small circle of people who know what the deal is. They're not going to talk to us. Um, if they call us, we're going to pick up and, and listen, but that's probably not going to happen. So uh, we will do the best we can with the information that we have. A lot of the information you get during these things comes from outside sources, you know, former players, coaches that work with coaches, um, you know, administrators at other places. It just, it's this real, real weird funnel. Yes. Agents sometimes too. Um, but we will print what we know and what we think is credible. Um, to be honest, the, the, the process, and, and if you haven't listened to uh, podcasting played nobody, they did a terrific interview about two weeks ago with a search firm guy. Now, USF isn't using a search firm. If you're looking for great information, it's about a one-hour interview with Chad Chatlos of Ventura Partners. He does a lot of searches, but it's a very interesting look at how searches are done, as Chad freely admits in the interview. Um, they do things verbally, and the reason they do that is because they won't be subject to public records requests. So we're going to do we're going to search for documents afterwards when the search is over, and we might get a, a hit or two or whatever. But for the most part, this is going to be done on the quiet and secret, and we're going to be listening to rumors and innuendo. But we're going to try and separate the good rumors and good innuendo from the crappy rumors and the BS on the internet and random people who start things for no reason. Shout out to that guy at West Virginia who screws up every coaching search on Twitter. Um, I forget his name. So anyway, that's why that's who we are. That's how we do this. Um, I would say that there's a decent list of names. The guy who ends up being the guy very well might not be on this list. Um, but let's talk about a couple of guys that we think might be. Let's start with the one. Um, who is floating his name certainly throughout the Tampa Bay area um, has at least talked to, or at least him or his people have talked to Joey Knight, Bruce Feldman, Josh Newberg. Um, it's your former coach, Willie Taggart. Uh, he has made it pretty clear through the media that he would be interested in a return to USF. Um, I, I don't know how USF feels about that. I don't know if USF would be interested. Um, I think if USF was super interested, maybe Willie wouldn't be putting his name out there through the media. Possible. Maybe. I don't know. Thoughts? Um, but when you have left here for Oregon and then left Oregon in the lurch for Florida State, I don't think anybody begrudged or at least not a lot of sane people begrudged USF um, for Willie going to Oregon. It was a better job. It was a great opportunity. Yeah, I take that. When he left Oregon in the lurch, that really didn't help. And then when he failed pretty badly at Florida State, that after setting expectations pretty high, um, that's a challenge. So uh, 
thoughts, and, and this is stuff we'll get Nate in here in a little bit, but guys, um, if Willie came back, what do you think? Weird, crazy, insane? I, mean, I think the recruiting would be tougher this time around because you could definitely negatively recruit against him. Um, yes. And then he had, he had some, I mean, uh, he hasn't stayed anywhere very long in his last couple since one not one was not his decision, but uh, have been rather short. He did have some parents. Um, he did face some backlash from parents at Florida State. I don't know if a lot came from that, but I know immediately after he was fired, uh, so there were some parents that came out and said some bad things about him. Some of it seemed like just sour grapes if a kid wasn't playing, but there there was some of that noise right after. So, um, you know, whoever comes in next is going to have to be a big time recruiter. So, well, could it be him? He did a pretty good job in the past, but it's it's hard to go back. You know, um, especially you leave and then you're coming back not as like a conquering hero, but as a failure. That's a little bit tougher. So I was at a group chat, tech, uh, chat today to Seth, and I want to. I put this in the group chat, um, and I want to see if you agree with this. And we were talking about who should USF get, obviously, because what else would I talk about today? Um, and I said this. One, get somebody that can recruit Florida. Two, get someone that won't leave right away. Um, three, get someone that will help raise money. Four, head coach experience preferred. That was sort of my one, two, three, four. What do you think? Yeah, I think number one is talent because that's the issue i think and you guys know better than me because you were here the whole strong tenure i don't think the issue is necessarily especially this year just kind of watching it wasn't necessarily schematic issues they were just not very talented or not nearly as talented as a team located in tampa florida should be there was no explosiveness there was um you know the off the offensive talent that's coming back next year is not very good so and you only had a few guys this year that were, I'd say, were above average players, and they were very good players, but there was only a few of them. So, and those guys are gone. So, whoever comes in is going to have to be able to bring a lot of talent in, especially on the offensive side of the ball, if you want to be competitive next year, which I think is going to be very tough, um, given how late in the process this hire is going to take place, and um, especially with all the openings. And now there's going to be kind of, I think some guys may wait out and see kind of what happens with some of these other openings that are um, your old misses, your Arkansas, your Missouri's, uh, maybe even Norvell at Memphis. If he goes on to a bigger job, maybe somebody's going to wait out and see if the Memphis job comes open. So, yeah, but I think priority number one is recruiting. If, you, if somebody's got to bring in some talent next year and um, beyond that, I think, I think that's really even, That'd be my number one priority, and everything else would be way down the list. Is who can bring in the most talent next year? Because um, I think you bring somebody in that's not really expensive if you have to. That's if he can recruit and bring in a bunch of talent, then maybe the next guy is going to be the guy that reaps the benefit. But it's you almost need a hard reset on the program from a talent standpoint. Yeah, and, and somebody who's willing to get in the portal and work the portal hard. Because we need long-term fixes in terms of a great class and short-term fixes in terms of, you know, I, I'm i not sure if Jordan McLeod's the guy. I know he was hurt a lot of this year, um, but I don't think we've seen anything where you go, wow, that's that's definitely your long-term future at quarterback. I think he's definitely a guy you want on your roster. You know, it's not like I'm asking Jordan to transfer anywhere, but I, I'd like to at least see him get pushed by somebody or two people or maybe even three people because um, USF's super long quarterbacks right now. Um 
you know, as you were saying, there are three kids in this class that are, are offensive linemen already and probably need to be even more than that, you know, whether that's through portal or instant recruiting or JC or whatever it is the this, the talent level just needs to improve and improve quickly. Um, cause kids they got really aren't that good. Um, another guy that you've had some experience with Seth and, um, is, uh, Larry Scott. Um, this is sort of the, uh, that dream candidate for, for those of us who think about green and gold of days of your, um, was on the original 97 team. One of the OGs, uh, you know, has, uh, Ex- legitimate experience and probably of any ex USF football player um, is really kind of the only one that could ever credibly be considered for a job like this um, was the interim coach at Miami. When Al golden got fired, became the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Um, but again, he was the offensive coordinator under Butch Jones at Tennessee. I mean, not your fault when the team doesn't really move the ball that well, because you know, Butch Jones, come on, let's, let's get serious here. Um, you've had some interaction with him on the recruiting trail, Seth, um, what because i i i know people that know larry i know people that really like larry that um you know work with played with all that kind of stuff know the guy but i don't know him personally you've dealt with him on the recruiting show what do you think yeah we had um my last quarterback when I was, my last uh, year coach in high school uh before i went to tusculum college uh we had a quarterback that was under under armor all-american he was being recruited heavily by Miami. He was uh, he committed his junior year, I think, summer. So he kind of knew he was going to Miami. So going into his senior year, um, we went we went to spring practice at Miami. They invited us down because we we're going to try to put some stuff in from the Miami offense for him, just so he'd be ready to play because he, he was going to be an early enrollee. Um, and Larry Scott was a tight ends coach, and he was really impressive. First of all, a really nice guy, really smart guy, pretty sharp. Um, and then we got to sit in on meetings and hear them talk and look at the film and watch things. And, and he was, he was one of the guys on set that really stood out. And, um, and then every interaction I've had with him has been positive. He's a really nice guy. He doesn't treat there. You'll find some guys that treat high school coaches like they're idiots and they try to like, they, they think they don't know what they're doing. Um, but the guys that are usually pretty good kind of treat those guys. And he was a high school coach in the past. So that kind of helps. Um, he treats you more on a level playing field and he's a guy that is a really good recruiter. Um, he's uh, he has a pretty good track record of recruiting, and uh, I don't he hasn't had a ton of experience, like you said, as at Colin plays maybe a year. But I think he's a guy that would be somebody that obviously loves the university, and he's I think he's qualified, and he's a guy that I think uh, high school coaches in the state would really get along with. He's just, he's uh, he's he's a pretty sharp dude. I, I thought he was pretty impressive, and I came away really impressed uh, when I met him down in Miami. Yeah, I would, you know, I, it's, it's like the dream scenario to have a guy like that come home who could, and the other thing is, is that if you get a guy like that and you do have some success, maybe you've got a chance to keep him. Whereas with basically anybody else on this list, I mean, USF's a lovely place. Tampa is wonderful. We love it here, but this is not a P5 job and it's going to be really tough to get anybody that, that has success here to stay here. Unless it's somebody like this who is tied to the program. I know, you know, not from Larry directly, but from people that are close to him say he, he still cares about this place. He still loves USF. He's still in touch with his guys. And um, that would be a, a real win for the program in the long run. Just a great story. Uh, you know, I I would love to see it come true. Um, but that's, you know, it's going to be up to MK to decide, you know, if this is if this is the right guy and this is the right fit. But 
he's really and, and this makes sense for a program that's only 22 20 22 years old um that there's really only one guy who kind of fits the mold as to somebody that would be a former player that could return and that and basically it's larry scott and that's it um we'll see if he gets an interview or what kind of look he gets um but it you know and right now he's he's going to be in the middle his season is over which is good um unlike some of these other candidates that are still going to be playing a little bit um but larry scott he's the right now his title is a, a tight ends coach at uf um their season ended so i mean there's still a bowl game but i don't think uh dan mullen's going to be grudge a position coach and interview for a head coaching job in the middle of uh that that transfer season it gets a little trickier when you know you're dealing with guys that are competing in the playoff or even in you know bigger big time bowl games, but uh, that's not going to be Florida this year. So we'll see if if timing you know if the timing can help line up a candidate a little bit as well too. Um, just looking at looking at his top like uh, two of his top three commit, I think he's got four guys committed this year at Florida. Um, the, one of the kids is from Lakeland, another one's from Tampa Jesuit, and the higher rated guys from Sebring, which is where he's from. So. Uh, he's he's in he's already kind of in the area recruiting a lot. So checks box number one, that's for sure. Uh, get somebody that can recruit Florida and another guy who can do that. Um, and this is maybe the reach candidate. Um, Tony Elliott is the co-offensive coordinator at Clemson. Um, you know, it, he's been at Clemson, played at Clemson, left, uh, actually got his industrial engineering degree from Clemson, graduated with like a 3.5, which was the highest GPA on his team at that time. Apparently, he's a super sharp guy from what everyone says, uh, pretty bright, actually worked in engineering, came back, worked at, uh, got back into football at South Carolina State and Furman, so he understands what it's like to be at a program that doesn't have as much resources. In fact, even has like way worse resources than USF. But since 2011, he's been at Clemson, um, part of the dynasty. Um, can he recruit Florida? Well, uh, Deion Kane, Ray Ray McLeod, basically he's assigned to the Tampa area um, for Clemson recruiting, and uh, those guys win national championships with the the stud players that he gets out of here. So. Um, Definitely fits in that mold. He's had opportunities, and he might be a guy that the USF might not be a good enough job for. Because, quite frankly, you know, Clemson's practice facility has a slide in it and is like state of the art and the highest of high tech. USF doesn't have that, so maybe he waits for a job where he's got a, a little bit better facilities, a little bit better chance to compete, etc. He doesn't necessarily even have to take a G five job. He was in the mix for Georgia Tech last year, so. Um, it, it would be possibly a reach guy, but he probably has connections. You know, Michael Kelly knows him. He's been in the ACC since 2011. MK knows this guy already, I'm sure. Um, any thoughts there? Uh, I think, like you said, I think he may be waiting for something bigger. He already makes a million dollars a year, which is more than about, I think, close to possibly over 30 head coaches in Division One. He's already making a million dollars. So that's right. not... I think obviously he would get a bump in pay, but he may be able to wait and you know get a bigger bump. He's a Clemson guy; he played there, um, so there's some of that pull. But I, I mean, he's obviously shows his recruiting, but um, it's, it'd be interesting to see kind of him having recruited this level, not being able to sell Clemson. But I think he would come with a lot of cachet behind his name, obviously, and uh, a good reputation because they are kind of. Uh, depending on how this year kind of shakes out, they're kind of uh, pushing Bama down the top of the mountain, and they're starting to kind of yeah. plant their flag there. So, 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think Clemson is going to end up somehow, some way, becoming maybe like the the defining program of this decade, which is crazy when you look at what Alabama has done. But um, they are clearly on the ascendancy, and it, you know, to do that in a place in the middle of nowhere, South Carolina, is just so impressive. His uh, other co-offense coordinator on that team, um, Jeff Scott, is kind of in that same boat. It's another guy who's going to get a head job somewhere, can probably be a little bit pickier. Um, the only difference is with Scott, just, you know, Tony Elliott just makes a little bit more sense um, for recruiting purposes just because of his ties to Florida. But again, Jeff Scott, very, very similar resume. Um, might be a fit here as well. So we'll see. We'll see if USF goes that route, but somebody that would know MK. Um, some other names that have come out there, and we'll try and touch on these briefly. Um, Elijah Drinkwitz has only been at App State for a year, um, but they're 10 and 1. They're going to play for, or are they 11 and 1? 10 and 1? 10 and 2, 11 and 1, somewhere in there. Anyway, they won a lot of games they're playing for the Sunday. Yeah. yeah, and they're playing for the uh, conference championship next week. Um, so they're really good. Uh, he's apparently an up and comer in the profession. Um, but again, has only been at his place for one year, might not be a perfect fit. A name that I heard that I really kind of thought was interesting, Kalen DeBoer at, uh, Indiana. Um, when he was a head coach at the, another USF, the university of St. Francis in NAIA, he won three national championships, but last season he was hooked up as the OC, um, at Indiana under Tom Allen. Of course, we all saw what Indiana has done this year, um, being, doing very non-Indiana things. Um, even when um, Michael Panics went down, they still managed to win eight games. Uh, they won the old Oaken Bucket for the first time in a while over Purdue on Saturday. And they're doing some dynamic things in offense. Before that, he was OC and QB coach at Fresno State. Great tradition there, of course, um, of guys who can really throw the ball all over the place. So um, it's an interesting look um somebody who's definitely outside of the box a little bit but has really done the thing that you're supposed to do in this profession which is start at the bottom and work your way up and grind your way up and work your way up um but he comes recommended be interesting to see if he gets a look anywhere um will healy's only been at charlotte for a year he's an up-and-comer he's going to go somewhere but maybe taking a guy that's willing to leave a program after a year isn't really a good fit for usf right now and then we get into well here we'll, we'll do it in this order um Another name that sort of came out, what about Gene Chizik? And there are definite ties. He was born in Tarpon Springs, coached at UCF for a couple of years, many years ago. Um, has been hanging out in Tampa a lot recently. Heard he's been seen at some Bucks practices, and apparently he wants back in the, into uh, football. Um, has been on TV for a little while. Did a really nice job making sure that Cam Newton was recruited, $180,000, recruited to Auburn and won a national championship there. Um, but, yeah, you know, do you want to retread the guy who's been out for a little bit? Um, certainly his hiring at Auburn was interesting because he sort of got out of an, an Iowa state job that wasn't going very well. Then he won a national championship at Auburn. Can't really knock that, but then Auburn kind of really fell apart under him too. So whether he's the right guy, not real sure. Uh, his last job, he was DC at North Carolina. He retired for like family reasons. Yeah. He's on TV um, right now. So, him. But uh, apparently he wants back in, so we'll uh, we'll see if that's the case. Um, and then uh, James Coley, um, who was a name that I actually had heard even before this search started, um, uh, OC at Georgia, recruits Florida, ties to Miami. Um, you've worked with him as well before, t- or not worked with him, but um, been on the seen him on the trail before, Seth. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was uh, the aforementioned quarterback we had. He was the main recruiter, or one of his main recruiters, him and Art Kehoe. 
was our area recruiter. Um, but yeah, he, we we spoke with him a little bit. He he was in love with the quarterback we had, and uh, he came to a couple of our games and watched. And we got a chance to speak with him, and we had a chance to speak with him during that spring practices that we did. He was a, he was a sharp guy. Um, or the the kid we had really loved him. He really liked him a lot. Um, he probably would have followed him to Georgia if they didn't already have Jacob Eason committed. So, um, so he ended up sticking with Miami, but he really liked him a lot. Uh, so, uh, my experience with him were similar to with Scott. Seems like a nice enough guy. Seems like a sharp guy. Watched him in the film. Watch him and kind of breaking down the practice film from the day uh, we got to watch. And um, the kids seemed to really like him too. So uh, he's an interesting guy. Interesting. Um, again, recruits Florida knows the area. You know, might be a good fit as well. But then here's the one that I. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna throw it out there. Um, so. The Lane Train uh, is going to try and win his second conference championship in three years on Saturday. I know the FAU people are like, why would you leave Boca and the water and this great job? Well, um, you got the salaries up there, Seth. What's what's Lane Train making? Lane, uh, but here's the thing. The AC's better league, better job. Get you closer to where you want to be, which is the P5, of course. Anybody who signs Lane Kiffin is going to have to have an ironclad contract that says if you leave after one year or two years, you owe us um, your first, your next born child, and possibly so two ones that like are already born. Looks like 1.4, possibly a four million dollar buyout. Okay, so one point four. I wonder if that's. I wonder if that may be what he gets paid if he gets fired. I don't know. But like the guarantee, 1.4, might be his guarantee. Yeah. Okay, that might be his guarantee. I don't know what his buyout is, but if it's one point four. Um, USF's going to have to bring at least a million more than that. And Charlie was making 2.5. From what we know, that number's probably going to be okay for USF. They're probably going to be able to get somebody in that 2.5 range. Um, you know, they would like to save a few bucks, obviously, because we are still USF and we are still very poor. But from what we're hearing, they're going to have some money to invest um, to get a head coach, which, quite frankly, surprised some of us. But they're going to have the money to, to do what they need to do to get this done. Um, facilities here, you know, that's the the big knock on this program is that the facilities are way, way behind. But could you maybe convince Lane, who's got ties to Tampa, of course, you know, dad coached here for a million and one years, um, knows the area, can recruit Florida, checks all the boxes. I don't think Lane's going to be planning on retiring here, either at FAU or here. Um, but it's just... I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's somewhere in the ether of the universe that these things might happen post haste. So there you go. That's where we are. That's what we think. Um, Seth, you got anybody else in the, your feeling is nobody, your feeling is nobody on staff is going to be a candidate, right? Well, that's kind of why I did it in this order because I know there's a guy that you want to go ahead and pitch for the job. So I've already pitched him for the pitch. I, I mean, I, I've already pitched him for it. You can go back in the archives and listen to that one. Um, <laughs> that was a great podcast. That was the Seth and Vito show. That's right. <laughs> so, I think the, the, the pitch, the pitch for him would be that. By, he's a, by the way, he's for, a, for new listeners, we're talking about Carver Bell. By the way, yeah, yeah. that um, the real issues with this season were not necessarily the scheme. I don't think on either side of the ball it was the scheme. It was that. There was a dearth of talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. 
where I don't think you would rate a single unit, except maybe their tight ends. And then if you talk about units coming back, um, I don't think the returning talent, which he did not recruit, would be even above average in conference, much less nationally uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, he's a good recruiter. He has a proven track record. I think we spoke, said this off pod that if he would have just stayed about Austin last year or this, yeah, this past season and maybe won another national championship or like they, they, they just lost his last weekend in the second round of the playoffs. He might've been a, he might've been a candidate for the job this year as the head guy. Um, and then you get some, you get some, uh, you obviously get some uh, carryover with not having to put in a whole new system again on both sides of the ball. You'll get some familiarity with the kids who seem to really like the staff. It seems like, especially they seem to really like Charlie's what's coming out kind of on Twitter is, and we, you can kind of see that just the way they spoke about after each game that, you know, they seem to really, really love Charlie. And um, I, I assume by extension, most of the staff, they kind of, so you get that positive. You may be able to keep your recruiting class together, which you've already lost one commit, but, um, your only receiver you had committed, you lost him today uh, after the news broke. So there's that. It's kind of really the continuity of it. And I think he's a good coach. I know numbers, uh, people are going to look at the numbers and not really agree. But if you kind of watch us going behind the scene or going kind of deeper into it and looking at the film, it's not necessarily, uh, there aren't necessarily schematic problems. It's more about the guys that were being forced into playing this year through injury or other or other reason. But I, I I think at this point it's probably a long shot, it would seem, just because of how poorly the season went. But I think he would be successful. But it'd be a tough sell, I'd imagine, to a lot of the fans that just look at the stats and see um, some of the rough numbers. For sure. And, and the other um, tough part of that is, is that um, if he was going to be a considered candidate, um, I, I think they might have named him the interim head coach. Um, and that title went to Brian John Murray. Um, what is and that? I think what that, is that? My question on that is, what does that even mean? Are, there's, are so they there's going to be, be with with the kids? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. So there's going to be a staff meeting tomorrow amongst the coaches. The guy running that meeting is going to be Brian John Murray. Um, then they will go out and they will hit the streets and start recruiting and trying to salvage whatever they can of this class, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that's how um, it runs. So he's technically in charge right now. Part of that is going to be also ensuring discipline to make sure that kids are going to class, you know, going through finals. Mm. Um, conditioning. There's still off-season conditioning that's allowed. I think you're allowed to condition for is it four hours a week right now. It's either four, four or six. Um, he'd be the one in charge of making sure all of that got done. You How know, long is the rest of the what, semester? Uh, let's say December 1st. Um, I know that there's a final on my birthday because I, oh, just for random reasons, and my birthday is the 19th. So it's at least till the 19th. Classes end the 4th this Wednesday. But then there's like finals and stuff after that. Yeah, but sometimes they'll give sometimes they'll give off uh, in the off after for finals and stuff. They'll get a little bit of time off. Yeah, so I'm like, I don't, I don't think, tag do we do deadly? Final exams begin December seventh. They end December twelfth. Yeah, so that's that. Uh, classes end the fourth. We have reading days the fifth and the sixth, which is quote unquote like dead days before finals. Finals start the eighth, and you said end the twelfth. It says uh, mm-hmm. December seventh. Final exams begin December twelfth. Final exams end. Then the 19, there's the intercession drop ad. 
so that's sort of like what's what does that interim tag even mean? It it I think just running, shows, running the meeting on running sorry, the is meeting it based on te- is it based on tenure? I don't think so. I think it's based on that's my best guess. Having seen, I mean, they they always name an interim in these situations that, and like when it happens in basketball, when Orlando Antigua gets fired and they name an interim, they name Murray Bartow. Why? He but was, was the, it at the? Was it when there was no games left to play? No, they were still playing games. That's what. I'm, that's that was a lot of games. They fired him midseason. Well, that's my my thing is like if there's no games left to play, does it matter who the interim is? I guess yes. for the recruiting, but yes. Okay. It does. I, I, I just, I think it's more like a tap saying, okay, this is the the number one guy that's left in this room, and the number one guy left in this room. And I don't think, you know, I mean, I may be wrong, but I, I BJ may get a, a token interview here. Um, I, I doubt that he would be in the mix for the for the permanent job. Um, but I, I think if there was a guy that you would want to like give the token interview to, or at least give the like internal interview, it would probably go to the guy. That was named the interim. Now I am extrapolating out a little bit here, to be fair, but that seems to be how these things work generally, at least around USF that I have seen and in all of the times have done this before. So I think it matters I, now how that affects and how Kerwin affects um, any new coach that comes in. That's interesting as well. I just don't know. Well, they what want are, to keep in, in your in your experience, what are the yeah? I was going to say in your experience, what are the odds that somebody would want to come in um, and keep people that are on staff now? How many how many how many guys do you think would have a chance to stay on staff, or, or most of the guys going to be looking for other spots? I think you got to keep. I, I think it's always a good idea to keep at least one, and preferably two, because those are the people that you're going to lean on when you go. Well, why isn't this happening? Or you know, why did, why do these, why do the kids react like this? Or where's, you know, where's the, who do I talk to about X, Y, and Z? You just need somebody to sort of navigate the Byzantine department and things. And so you always want to keep at least one guy, preferably more than one, but at least one. It's just going to depend on who they hire though. You know, if somebody wants to come in here and just bring 100% all of their own people, you're not going to, get in their way because if that's the head coach that you want you also want him to be as comfortable as possible with staff one of the big mistakes that usf made with billy taggart was they also told him well you don't have a ton of experience so we're going to let chuck bresnahan run your defense for you and willie was sort of not in a position to do too much about it after two years at western kentucky being the all of his experience. So they bring in the very experienced Chuck Bresnahan who did a very, very bad job. This is defensive coordinator. And that just never really clicked as a, a job. I would much rather see USF just hire somebody and give them carte blanche to bring in the people that they feel comfortable with. I would hope that they would hire somebody that realizes that you need to keep a body or two around who understands the culture of the place that you don't know anything about when you get here. Yeah, I think, um, It'll be, it'll be kind of interesting to see what direction they go. And then, you know, uh, depending on what side of the ball. One guy that was thrown out, um, I think it was thrown out by Andy Staples, was okay. the the Georgia defensive coordinator who was at Memphis Decoy. prior. They've, they're like the number three defense in the country. And he was yeah, at Memphis right. previously. So he, he, he knows the conference. Dan Lanning. Dan Lanning. 
Okay. Young guy. Looks like he's a pretty young dude. Interesting. He's 32. He was their he was their outside oh linebackers coach. He was their outside linebackers coach uh, the year before. He was in Memphis before that, so oh. he knows the conference. So he was the guy that got thrown out. I didn't know if you know anything about him. I know nothing about him. I know Georgia's defense is ungodly good. I mean, yes, and really fun to watch. Um, are you are is, are you thinking like a Dan Lanning slash Kerwin Bell Florida Georgia reunion? I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to find Winnie which way. Well, no, that he was a name I saw thrown out there that I thought that was interesting with um, him having experience in the conference, which I think may be important. Um, I don't know. It might not matter. So he's young, landing 33, uh, currently yeah. running a defense that ranks number three in the FBS in yards per play allowed. Um, yeah. And yeah, he spent two seasons with Mike Norvell's staff in Memphis. So he knows the league. And maybe, um, and maybe that's your best chance to be good next year is hiring a defensive guy that's going to come in and really have a good defense next year because that's where some of your uh, good, experienced players will be is on the defense side of the ball. That'll be another interesting aspect of it. Who, who turns – who which do these guys turn pro, these kind of guys on the edge, or do they mm-hmm. come back? Because, uh, you know, K.J. Sales early in the year looked like he was a for sure – Draftable guy. Then as the year went on, he struggled against against Dude, some of the Gabe Davis. Players. After what Gabe Davis did to him on Friday, he better come back. And then um, Hampton didn't have as good as year, nearly as good as year as most people thought he would going into the season. Right. Yeah, so it'd sure. be interesting to see who returns because uh, if, if both those guys return, you know, and depending on what happens up front, they may have they, uh, those two linebackers are coming back. They're both young. They're they're both going to be really good players, uh, Greer and Boyle. So um, you may have the makings of a pretty decent defense next year, especially if those guys come back. So that'd be interesting. He makes seven hundred fifty k at Georgia. Ooh. So I'm looking at his resume here. First of all, thirty two. That's super young. Um, Undergrad William Jewell College, masters from William Woods University. Apparently, those are in like Missouri, um, or at least yeah, yeah, Missouri. Um, grad assistant at Pitt for one year. Um, Arizona State grad assistant moved up, came recording recruiting coordinator. Sam Houston State DBs, Bama for one year, grad assistant outside linebackers. Memphis, two years. Georgia, now two years. Um, you want to hear an interesting story about him? Okay. That I just read. Mm-hmm. He uh, he decided that he wanted to be an FBS coach. He was coaching in high school in Missouri. Mm-hmm. So he knew some people on Todd Graham's staff at Pittsburgh. So okay. he just left, drove, drove through the night. Showered and changed in a suit in a nearby truck stop and entered the Pittsburgh football facility on a Friday morning. Went to learn the staff was gone, so he just came back and came back and basically worked for free until he got a job. Worked for free for six months, and now he's making seven fifty at Georgia. So interesting. That's just a guy I saw somebody mention. So I just wanted to bring that up and see if you knew anything about him. Yeah, didn't know. Great story though. Um, that, that would be awful young. Um, I don't know if, yeah, man, I, 
but then again, you're taking a guy who's who's coordinating one of the best defenses in the country too, and you can maybe get him cheap. Um, if he's making seven fifty now, you could probably get him for like one point something. Um, but yeah, we'll see. So anyway, like, this what's is your total. What's your total money pool? You know, maybe you can go out and he can hire some killer assistants too. Well, see, here's the thing. So it's going to depend on how much money guaranteed we owe to other people. So I don't know if BJ was guaranteed after this year. I don't think he was. I believe Kerwin was. So Kerwin, because Kerwin came in on a multi-year deal, so we're going to owe him whether or not the new coach wants to keep him or not. Mm -hmm. Um, He's going to get his money. Um, Yeah. And I don't know if what the status is on the other coaches. So there we are. Welcome to the next uh, however long week or two of your life, uh, Bulls fans. We'll see how long this takes. Um, and again, a guy like Lanning, uh, just like a guy like Tony Elliott, you know, still playing football. Um, you know, Georgia's, you know, the important part of Georgia's season probably ends on Saturday, but not for sure. And then a guy like Elliott could be still playing football in January um, and how that affects um, what they're doing going forward. We shall see. But anyway, um, turnaround, just real, how quick do you think the turnaround of this is going to be? What would you anticipate? Oh, it's just going to depend on how many players you can get in here. I mean, if I'm talking about the turnaround of the high, I'm talking about the turnaround of the higher. Oh, two weeks. So right before the early signing period is over. Yeah, I think you you want to have have fans. I believe. Yeah, I think you'd love to have four. Say what? I just say keys to the office before early signing period. Yeah. For sure. I, I would say two weeks from today, I did think you'd want to have somebody in place. Because signing period's the 18th, right? 19th? December. This might be an old one. December 18th, it looks like. Yeah, December 18th is the initial signing date. So. Okay. So, the, yeah, two today? weeks from today. Right, so today's, we're in the second now. So, um, yeah. So, that's got to be a quick turnaround. For sure. Has to be. And that's why all these things matter. So when we hear something, we'll let you know. We'll put it on Twitter. Um, we might do another podcast like this if, if some other names come out that we weren't or we haven't discussed already or if some news comes out. Um, but keep checking the blog. Keep checking us on Twitter, and we will get you as informed as we possibly can. Um, but welcome to uh, Coach Watch 2019. Go Bulls. Silly season, baby. Silly season! <laughs> <laughs>